Tommy by my name for name. I was a grateful member of Valley Nine. This is about a cheap of that there. Okay, um, thank you, Chris, for that. I really appreciate that. I appreciate <laughs> everyone coming out to hear what I may have to, to say a little bit about something tonight. You know, um, my home group today uh, is Come As You Are. It means Thursday night, 319, at the Evans Club, 319 East 75th. It's in Chicago. So, you know, if you all in the Chicago area and you feel like um, coming in for staff, tradition and concept and that's all due to Chris. Um please feel free, you know that you're welcome to come out to join us anytime. Um you know, um when I was asked to speak tonight I paused for a moment. I'm like, me? You know, what what is it that I really have to say that someone hasn't already heard or uh, what is it that I can share that would be, you know, uplifting or inspiring? And so, you know, um, I was asked to do this over a year ago, and um, that time is here. You know, I'm going to tell you, I prayed for a snowstorm. <laughs> I prayed that maybe the, this, this beautiful place, the Lord forgive me, that, you know, maybe they might have some water or something where um, it would just kind of... Uh, not allow me to speak, and um, but as um, my higher power, whom I choose to call God, would have it, you know, things just flowed as they should. So that's why I'm here tonight. And um, one of the things that Chris was um, giving me, you know, all those accolades, which I truly do appreciate, you know, I have to pay it forward. So many people um, helped me in my recovery along the way, and a lot of those people are not here today. And so I'm truly very grateful to them. Um, and I'm probably jumping ahead. Of, I got my stuff, all my little stuff all lined up. Because, you know, I will deviate and wander. So I got to have some kind of order um, when I speak. And, and that's okay for me today. Um, you know, I, I just have to pay it forward. And so, um, um, and yeah, so that's why I'm here tonight. And so hopefully, you know, with my sharing, um, you'll get something from it. Um, I hope that it is honest and helpful. Um, also, I forgot to say, when I'm sharing, I like to hold on to something that's this. It gives me the sense that I'm kind of in control. <laughs> so, and today, you know, I only have control over me. And, of course, I've gained that knowledge through working the steps and working on my recovery in this program. You know, um, when I came into this program, it was emphasized by those old timers about that that triangle that's in the in, in all of our literature and and when I close tonight, y'all gonna help me remember and it's gonna help you remember too, you know, Alanon's three legacies. If you don't already know it, I'm sure most of you already do, which is recovery which is through the steps, unity, which is through the traditions, and service, which is through the concepts. So, you know, and those three legacies, you know, help me, you know, come about of the depths of despair, hopelessness, and helplessness. Because my life at that particular time was bombarded with alcoholism um, and, and, and all the effects of that. 
So uh, those women and, and, and this, this, this legacy, these legacies help me, you know, in my recovery. So, you know, and I really do try to practice the principles of this program because when I do, you know, my life runs smoothly. It runs okay. You know, it is by no means perfect, um, but it's a whole lot better than what it was. So, you know, I'm the second child to um, a family of nine children. Um, my, my mother was a homemaker. My father was a bricklayer. Uh, my father was a jazz enthusiast. Um, he loved that. He, he, he loved listening to music. So much so, he didn't allow us to listen to any other music. He used to say that, you know, that, that music was crap. We know the, the music of the day that teenagers or any youth would want to listen to, but we couldn't. We just weren't allowed to, to listen to that. So, you know, my life at that particular time was bombarded with Ella, uh, Sarah Vaughn, uh, Jimmy Lomsford, and you know, I could just kind of go on, and today I have a love for jazz today. So, uh, but that was okay, you know, um, supper is what we call the then, or dinner, as you all may say today, but it's all the same thing. You know, um, we would have some, uh, dinners together every, every night, and that was uh, a mainstay, and, and at that particular time, you know, um, my parents would talk about the happenings of their day, and we would talk about amongst all each other, because it was nine of us, and we were all trying to talk at the same time, uh, what was going on with us, and that was, that was pretty much how it was. But now on Saturday, Saturday was a different story. My parents loved to play cards. Uh, and Big Wish was the going card game of that particular time. So they loved playing Big and, and on Saturday, it would start generally maybe like around 1 o'clock. We would have to clean up. We were always cleaning. I think we had, we had the most cleanest house on the block. And it was not of us, really. And we all had chores to do, but back to Saturday. Um, yeah, we would have to get the house ready for mother and father's card game. And uh, they would invite family and friends uh, by mainly friends, mainly friends because uh, family, they, they would drop by every now and then. But if there was no alcohol, they wouldn't come in. So, but of course, of course my parents had alcohol. Uh, my father's drink at that particular time was Johnny Walker Red. I only thought that there were three alcohols, uh, three beverages, alcoholic beverages, you know, in the world, which was Johnny Walker Red, uh, Budweiser, and Miller. I, I did, I did that, cause that's all they had. And now, um, my family members, they drank that. My aunts, my uncles, that's what they drank. Uh, but my father's drink was Johnny Walker Red. So, nevertheless, you know, the card game would go on, and they, it looked like they was having so much fun. And, um, of course, if somebody did something wrong, then, you know, tables be flipped, and, and then they would set the table back up and go on back to playing cards like it had never happened. And so, as children, pretty much this is what, you know, our life consisted of on Saturday. I mean, you all, not one Saturday a month. This was every Saturday. And afterwards, 
it was um, my responsibility, mine and my siblings' responsibility to clean up after the Saturday party. I hated that. I dreaded that. But, you know, we got rid of, you know, of course, beer cans and cigarette butts and all of that kind of craziness. And so, uh, but yeah, that was our responsibility uh, at the end of Saturday's party. And I didn't look forward to that either. And I got tired of smelling the, the smoke, tired of smelling the alcohol. But I dare not tell my mother or father that I didn't want to do that. Um, I remember, um, I told you about the music part. So, um, uh, car, the car game got pretty wild and very, uh, ugly at times, especially if somebody pulled the wrong car, laid down the wrong one, or they didn't count the books right, or whatever. And it's interesting how I remember all that, because we were just like in, like, they, of course, the, the room wasn't quite this big, but, uh, we were in the, um, the next room right over. A lot, most of the time they would, um, uh, my aunts would bring their, their children, so we'd be playing with my cousins. They were much older, and they, you could tell they really didn't want to be there playing, playing with us. They were in their teens, and we were kind of like in our, uh, pre-teens and younger, so they really didn't want to, want to be there. Of course, as teenagers, uh, uh, one, they wanted to be out with other teenagers, and so, um, yeah, car games got really very ugly, and, uh, um, so much so I remember one time that the police was called, the police came, there was some words or whatever, but the police left, and they went, they set the table back up and, and went back to playing cards again, like I said, like nothing happened, um, I remember also, of course, uh, Daddy getting extremely drunk, you know, falling on the floor. And I also remember my mother picking him up, getting him in the bed. I also remember Mother calling uh, his job. Uh, as I stated, my father was a bricklayer, and so uh, if he didn't report to work, you know, he didn't he didn't get paid. So she would call, you know, make excuses for him, and and, and it worked. And so, as a child, you know, you see all this, you witness this, and you're like, you know, this is what I guess, you know, a wife is supposed to do. So, she did that for a very long time. And, um, holidays, holidays, I dreaded holidays, because holidays meant, uh, longer card games playing, and more cleanup stuff. So much so, I, I, Christmas, I just got so, I, it was kind of like a, a fun time, but it really wasn't because, like I shared, you know, it just meant extra work for us to do. And so I, oftentimes I didn't look forward to uh, the holidays because it entailed all of that. And, of course, it entailed the arguments and the fussing and the fighting and then the police. I remember one Christmas, it got so wild. Uh, with the card game, I remember a tree being tipped over, the cat was flying through the we, we always had cats. We always either had a, a cat or a dog or something, uh, a bird. It was either cat, dog, or bird, something like that. Uh, but always a cat. I remember the cat climbing up the tree, um, tipped the tree over. It, it, the card game got ugly, and I remember the tree flying across the across the room and that's just what normal life was like in my house. So um um 
And of course the music was playing and got so much so, you know, when certain songs today are played, you know, I can flip back and think about that particular, or those particular times, you know, in my life. Music and, and remembrance is really, truly interesting. Um, when my parents would go out to run errands or whatever have you, um, she, they would normally put my older sister in charge. And so, but then when they would come back to the house, whatever, I remember my father saying, you know what, I, uh, my mother's name was Irene, but he called her Irene. He said, Irene, I don't know why you put that girl referring to my older sister in charge. Look at the house. It's all tore up. And then my mother said, I'm going to put Renee in charge. <laughs> and so, um, and of course, I wanted to make my parents proud. And I did. The house was in order. Folks did what they were told to do. And so when mother and dad got back to the house, I made them proud. And so that was my calling, to keep things in order, to keep control, and to keep chaos and confusion down. And so I thought that that's what I was supposed to do. Uh, like I said, I had younger siblings, and, and they did what I told them to do then. So, but as, you know, as alcoholism and as the disease is, it gets progressively worse. And it did in my household, so much so where um, my uh, seven of my siblings got addicted to drugs, uh, alcohol, you know, all the things that come with alcoholism, um, drugs, alcohol, insanity, and death. And so all of those things happened, and I just began to accept that this is what, this is how people live, this is how life is supposed to be. And so, um, um, my father continued drinking, of course, so much so, uh, where he was back and forth with the doctor, and I believe it was in, um, about 1980, I believe, um, he was told by the doctor that he needed to stop drinking because if he didn't, he was going to die. Well, father didn't, and my father did die in 1983. He did die of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, I thought in my mind at that particular time, you know, thinking that, you know, uh, uh, daddy was the problem, you know, that since he was gone, that everything else was going to be okay, you know, because he was the one with the drinking problem. He was the one, it seemed like, when when alcohol got stirred up, and of course he was initiated, that it was going to be okay. So father died, and it didn't. The disease and alcoholism was still prevalent, um, because as I learned, of course, many years later in this program, it's a family illness. It's a family illness, and everyone that encounters alcoholism, they become affected too. So my mother was affected. My mother was an enabler. As I stated earlier, she called his job. She helped him in the bed and, and all of that. And so, um, um, and that's what I saw. So, you know, um, he died in 83. Um, and, 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 and by that time, um, I, I had married, and I'm skipping around a little bit because I was trying to get everything in in a 
certain amount of time so um so that you could understand my story um you know I thank God a million and one a hundred and one a hundred and two times over that he led me into the doors of Alamon truly I do um as I stated earlier you know my brothers and, and sisters you know got addicted to drugs and alcohol and and I was untreated at that time myself and so uh, being the caretaker and, 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 and the control person that I was at that time, I thought it was my ultimate duty and responsibility to help my siblings. So much so, when they would ask me to drop them here or there, I would. Not giving any pause or cause to think about what they was really asking me to do until one night. It was either my sister or my brother, I don't remember who, who, um, and I did this not one time, but on a number of occasions. But this particular night, it was my brother. He had asked me, he said, Renee, uh, look here, girl, I need you to uh, drop me off somewhere. And I'm like, okay, not wanting him to walk down a dark street. Uh, I said, okay, we'll get in the car, and I'll take you there. And you all, next thing I know, I was parked in front of a drug-infested apartment complex. I, I, he, he was still in the car. I looked up and I'm like, you going in there? He said, yeah, you just hang tight for a minute. I'll be right back. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what I said? Okay. So uh, he did, and it seemed like it was just taking him forever in there. He did come back out for a moment and I said he said look I'm almost finished uh, uh, you just hang tight I said look you got five minutes if you're not back out here in five minutes I'm going to leave and he went back he said no no it's just, you just hold on just I look I look and as he was saying he, he was walking back towards the building going back in and I said I'm not playing if you're not back out here in five minutes I'm going to leave you all it was dark it was. It looked so shady. I'm like, seemed like a vampire or Dracula. Anybody was getting ready to jump out and suck my blood. Really, it looked. It looked just that creepy. And you know, at that moment, of course, you know, this was before pre-Alanine. This is pre-Alanine. Um, uh, five minutes was I, I, I put. Before I started up my car, I had a moment of clarity. I'm like, what in the world, Renee, are you doing here? Why, why are you here? Do you know that you could get shot? You could get mucked? A host of things began to run through my mind, and I hadn't thought about any of that at any time until then. So I started up the car and I took off. I didn't think about how he was going to get home. I didn't think about what dark street he was going to walk down. I had to walk down to. It just didn't matter at that point. So I left and I went home. So now, um, um, I remember sharing that at a meeting, you know, when I did get in recovery and those, those old timers said, you know what, baby, you just, Keep reading your literature. <laughs> keep coming back. And another thing, get yourself a sponsor. And um, Willie B, for those of you who have been around a long time, Willie B, long time member in Al-Anon, um, um, 
gave a great deal of service to Al-Anon also. She was the one that used to tell me all that along with Fronia and, and another lady named Dorothy and, and, and Horton. It's just a host of people. But Willie used to say to me when I used to come to her and tell her about this, that, and whatever, she said, okay, let's get in the car. I said, but where are we going? Never mind, just get in the car. So uh, got in the car. I did what I was told to do, get in the car. She said, you want to get better? Get in the car. So I got in the car because I desperately wanted to get better. I desperately wanted to come out, come up from the despair of hopelessness and helplessness. And so, um, yeah, so that's what happened. Now let me backtrack a little bit. Let me tell you about how I met my husband and um, um, how that all came to be. So in the summer about 1973, I believe, uh, I met my husband, whom I'm still married to today. Uh, we've been married for now for well over 37 years. Um, we later met, we dated for about three years. We were later married in 1976. Our first date that we went on, there was no alcohol. Of course, you know, I thought he was fine. I thought he was, he was very handsome. And he was smart. He was intelligent. He was all of that. And um, he was very much a gentleman. We went out on a date, a great conversation. And little did he know, when I looked across the table, I said, I'm going to marry him. <laughs> he is the one I am going to marry. He, he didn't know that, but I knew that. And so, um, yeah, so we went out uh, on a following date, I think it was about a week or so later, and that's when the alcohol came up. He said, I'm going to order me a drink, and I'm like, okay, because I was used to being around folks that drink, so that wasn't a big deal. But y'all, this got to be every time he would go out, he would order a drink, so much so, um... Um, he said, would you like one? And I'm like, well, okay. He said, well, I'm going to order you a Tom Collins. And I said, I thought I heard him say, did I know Tom Collins? <laughs> Y'all, I didn't hear. I, I said, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know no Tom Collins. And he said, he said, no, girl, I'm going to order you a Tom Collins. And I said, well, okay. I said, but what is that? And, of course, he told me what it was. It was gin and a little lemon juice and some simple sugar and um, um, what else? Oh, that not just the cherry. It was that, that cherry that had that M word in front of it. That, that's it right there. It had that cherry in it and, of course, the slice of orange. And I was sipping on that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. And, um, um, but one drink was enough for me, but he sipped on maybe two or three or four that night. And, um, you know, for, of course, thereafter we dated, and like I said, every time we would go out, he would have something to drink. And for a moment I thought that, okay, I think he drinks a little bit too much, just a little bit. But it seems as though he would only drink on Saturday. And I was used to folks drinking on Saturday. So, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't new to me. So it's okay, he's just drinking on Saturday because doing it, but now mind you, I wasn't with him Monday through Friday, so I didn't know what he did during that time, but Saturday, it seemed to be okay. Well, you know, later we married. Um... Oh, oh, I forgot to tell you this. 
uh, of course, when he said Tom Collins to me, I, I didn't know what Tom Collins was because the only three drinks I knew were what? Johnny Walker Red, Budweiser, and Miller. And so Tom Collins, that was just like a foreign language to me. And I'm like, oh, he knows all about those special drinks, too. So uh, I just thought he was a dream, and, and he still is. So, um, yeah, we did get married. And of course, like I stated earlier, he did drink quite a bit, and I thought that, but when we get married, and guess what? I'm going to be such a good wife. He's going to stop for sure. So, uh, well, as you all know, that didn't happen. If anything, the drinking got progressively worse. And of course, uh, with that, by that time, uh, uh, my first child was born. And uh, maybe three years later, my second child was born. And so now uh, I have this husband who drinks, and I'm trying to raise him because half the time he wasn't there. Now, he would get up and he would go to work, but he was never there emotionally. He wasn't there to help me with the children. He just wasn't there. He was a very good provider, but he was not there emotionally, and he did not help me with the children. So pretty much a lot of times I felt that I was a single parent, even though this person was there. And so... uh, um, I would, um, we would get into big arguments, and a lot, a lot of the arguments was were over his drinking. You know, if he would just stop drinking, if you just did this, if you just did what I suggested to you to do, you would be okay. You know, and uh, if 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 if, how about you just start drinking at home? He said, Well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna try that, and I suggested that. I don't even know what I was thinking. <laughs> And so that was short-lived. That was short-lived, you know. He said, so you buy me a six-pack. You buy me a six-pack, and I'll drink it at home. Well, okay, I bought the six-pack. He would drink that and then go back out to my look. I'll be right back. I need to go get something else. And he would go get something else, and sometimes he wouldn't make it back to the house until the next day. And so with all of that, I was building up anger, rage, and and resentment, you know, because I felt like, you know, I did not have any control over this situation. Mind you, I was used to being in control of the situation because when I controlled situations, they would come out okay. I governed my children. I had control over them, but they were children, and children... That's what they need. They need guidance. They need they need boundaries. They need all of those things. But I was trying to apply those same principles to a grown adult and a grown adult who had a drinking problem. So that went on for many, many years. Of course, the fights, it was just, you know, one vicious cycle. So, um, and, I, and I desperately tried to stop him to, 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 to stop drinking. So much so, I remember uh, one evening, uh, he would get ready to go out to drink, 
and I'm and I'm in front of the door, and he says, "Girl, just just move out the way." I'm like, "No, you're not going out to drink tonight. You're gonna stay home. You're gonna be a husband. You're gonna you're gonna be a father to your children, and blah blah blah." Okay, well somehow uh, I found myself. He just picked me up. I was a lot lighter then. <laughs> he just picked me up and moved me on out of the way. Went downstairs, got in the car, and I remember. Um, running down the stairs, uh, very quickly jumping on top of the car. <laughs> now, mind, I didn't care. I did not care about any neighbor seeing anything. It didn't matter to me if y'all thought that. Matter of fact, I would say, "Come on and join the party. Maybe you can help me to stop him from going out." It didn't matter. It just didn't. I jumped on top of the car, and he just said, to me, "He said, girl, get off the car." I said, "I'm not getting off this car." You can start it up. You can run it into a building. I don't care, but I'm not getting off the car. He started the car off. I got a little panicky. I said, "Oh my God, who's gonna take care of my children?" Because knowing this fool, he just might run into a tree or something. And so, but he didn't. Uh, he did start creeping. I mean, he did start. The car did start moving. He said, "Look, you need to get off the car. If you don't get off the car, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take off." You need to go on back upstairs and watch the children. And so and, and I, that's what I did because I thought about my children. Before that, I just didn't. And oftentimes I didn't because I was too busy trying to follow him, trying to fix, manage, and control him, trying to see what tavern he was going to so that I can go up in there. And a lot of times I did to pull him up out of there so that he can come home to be the good husband and father that he needed to be. So that went on for many, many years. Uh, a lot of crying, a lot, for me, a lot of crying, a lot of heartache, a lot of long nights staying up, peeping out the window, all of that until one night I just got so tired and so beat down and frustrated. I remember kneeling down on my bathroom floor and just crying out to God, Lord, you got to help me. I can no longer do this. I don't know what else to do. Help me, please. And, I, and, and the tears were rolling and streaming down my face. And I just laid. It's a good thing I kept a clean home. Uh, I laid on my bathroom floor and just sobbed and just sobbed and um and, and felt a whole lot that I remember I had a I went to sleep because I think by the time I woke up I looked out I heard the birds chirping and whatever and I'm like oh my god I slept on the bathroom floor so but nevertheless um I got up you know went on about my day got the children ready for school and maybe about a week later my husband told me that he was going in to get some help he felt like he needed some help and I'm like didn't think. He And uh, he did. He went into it at that time. They had a 30-day treatment program at uh, Jackson Park Hospital. He went into that. Now, stipulation with him being in that 30-day treatment, the family had to go to counseling. So I'm like, okay, you know, okay, you know, wanted to be the good, supportive wife, and uh, I said, okay, not a problem. And so he would talk a little bit. First, he would say we would have separate sessions. Uh, my husband would go in one room, I would go in another room. Then they would have the, you know, together sessions. And during that session, uh, 
my husband did a lot of the talking, and the counselor seemed as though he was always gravitating towards him. He was like, like I just, and I stood up one time, and I'm like, you know, something about this is just not quite right. It seems like you're just siding with him. What about me? What about me? And he said, well, what about you? He said, have you ever heard of this program? No, 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 no. Before we get to that, he said, look, there's an open meeting here, whatever day that was, you know, and it happens here with that Jackson Park Hospital, you know, um, this day, at this time, all the time. He said, um, Renee, you need to be there. I said, me? Me who? I said, me at a meeting? He said, yes, 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 just just go. He said, I'm not going to tell you what it is. That, it, he did tell me it was an open AA meeting. And he said, but I think you'll find it to be very enlightening. And I'm like, okay. And so my husband was sitting over there nodding his head. And I wanted to say, look, you're the one in the hospital, not me. Uh, but nevertheless, I did make my way to, did make my way to that meeting that night. And I am so glad I did because at that open meeting, I heard, um, an Al-Anon speaker. And uh, as that person shared her story, I was just sitting there, and I'm like, that's it. That's it. She's, she's sharing some of the things that I have been experiencing. And, 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 and I, I just got to talk to her. I just got to talk to her at the end of the meeting. And I did, and I walked over nervously to her and asked her about it. And she was very polite and very open and very warm. She wrote down her name. She gave me... Uh, the meeting that she went to, and she said, just try and make your way there. And I did, and thus, that's why I'm here today. So uh, I made a many a meeting, went to a number of rounds. I met wonderful, warm folk like y'all. I met all those people that I shared with you earlier about um, um, that helped me along with my recovery. Uh, and, and, and that's why I'm here today. And one of the things uh, that Willie and the rest of the old timers taught me is that, you know, I have to pay it forward. And pay it forward is doing service work. So, I'm getting ready to close. You know, all the time, um, all of that time, you know, I spent so much time, effort, and energy trying to get my husband and trying to get my siblings and trying to get everybody around me to be a better person and, and didn't didn't take the time to really look at me. It was me that needed to, I needed to focus in on myself, not other folks. But I know that because that one thing, and I'm sure it was a multitude of things that I heard my parents say, and I don't blame them today, but I heard my parents say, you know, we're going to put Renee in charge because she can handle this. She's going to do an excellent job, and I know she will. And today I do when I, I do put my best foot forward when I am in charge of things, but I'm able to channel that, you know, um, the control I do have over things uh, in a positive way, not people, not places. And not things. And so, um, um, I love my parents. I truly, truly do. And one time I couldn't say that because all I could see and hear was um, the, the chaos and the confusion. But today I recognize that that was the alcoholism. 
You know, if I, if I were to take away the dysfunctionalism and the alcoholism, they, my parents were awesome people. You know, they did the very best they could with what they were given. And so um, this program has helped me to recognize and realize that. And so I don't hold any grudge. I don't hold any animosity because this program has helped me to work through that. It gives one the steps, the traditions, and the meetings, and the people, and folk like you, and telephone calls. It gives you principles in which to govern your life with so that your life can be better for you. Even in the midst of drinking and chaos and confusion. So, and that's how I look at that, you know. Um, uh, I, I, I try my best to practice the principles of the program. Uh, this program, I always had a relationship with God, but this program has allowed me to deepen, really deepen my relationship, you know, with the God of my understanding. And I would not be or would not have been able to move forward in my recovery had I, had I not accepted a power greater than myself. And so... Uh, for my family members, my sister, my brothers, my aunts, my uncles, and everybody, you know, they have to learn to find their own way. It's not left up to me to try and fix, manage, and control them. It isn't. You know, they got to find their way, just like I found my way. And that same hope, that same help that um, I found, it's out there for them, too. That's why, you know, I, for me, i got to continue to do service because I know one day, one of them will walk up in here. And um, I would hope that this program is available for them. And so that's why I can continue to do what I do. Um, I want to say to the new members, if you're a new member, you know, this program works. But it only, I'm telling you, it only works to the degree that you work at it. You put little in, you're going to get little out. You put a lot in, you have the ability to understand happiness, joy, peace, serenity, um, all of those blessings that this program has one to offer. And so um, I'm going to read this, and then like I started out with the legacy, y'all going to help me close with that. To let God, now this comes from, this isn't mine, I, I give credit what credit's due. Uh, this, this reading came from, you know, the four magazines for the month of May. I'm telling y'all, it's an awesome, awesome reading. At least it was for me. Because prior to this, I thought I was a superhuman being. I just didn't think I was a regular human capable of just doing what human things do. And so when I read this, I'm like, you know, this just sums it up for me. To let go, I have to let God. It says, Dear God, this letter is to inform you that, effective immediately, I resign my position as saint. I find I am lacking the necessary qualities and skills for the job. I have a deep concern about the ability to perform the required duties but was afraid to say no to a glamorous, powerful position. In addition, the long hours of getting used to me. I also withdraw my request to train for your role as general manager of the universe. 
my skill set does not match the job duties. In addition, the celestial resources does not expect your position to be open soon. At this time, I humbly apply for the position of human. I understand that there are many openings and that a spot has already been created just for me. I am ready to step into that position immediately. Should you need references, I can provide an extensive list of persons who can attest to my ability to be human. I look forward to you, to continuing to work with you. And it says, sincerely, this woman of Alien Alaska wrote that. I mean, it's just awesome. So now we come to the point where you get to help me close with Alamo's Three Legacies. I'm telling y'all, this program works. But it works for me when I apply these three legacies. And they are recovery through the steps, unity through the traditions, and service through the concepts. My name is Renee Yall, and I'm going to keep coming back.